0: Welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, company on Power Talk. Thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And as we continue to wade through um, sort of the haze and insanity of uh, the, this, um, this virus, uh, I oftentimes uh, think about my elders and those who have been on the bandstand for many, many years and uh really, um what is going through their head when in fact uh they cannot actually practice um, their yogic disciplines uh for over a year? I mean, if somebody took the microphone away from me for over a year, I would not be in good shape in fact um it's been my salvation to continue to to have the program uh, and uh it has allowed me to to become a little bit more enlightened. Uh, it has allowed me to stay as sharp as possible because, let's face it, as a patron of the arts and also a journalist and someone who chronicles this stuff, um, it's been somewhat debilitating not to be able to heal from the rhythms of music, uh, but uh, it's with great honor um, that I bring back a cat who's jonesing to get back on the bandstand, although um, taking all precautions... Um, Uh, he's a decorated musician uh, countless albums and countless collaborations with people from all across all musical spectrums a dear friend peter rowan welcome back to the jake feinberg show
1: Uh, good morning jake feinberg it's good to hear your voice from uh, out there in the the pristine uh, air of the southern deserts
0: free free mexican air force baby you know listen um uh, we got a game on this program called Name That Voice. I'm going to put this voice in for you right now, and we'll come back uh-huh. and, and come back and break it down.
2: I sure did. They changed my life. They honestly changed my life. Um, hearing hearing Chick play. In fact, one of the things that made me think that playing jazz on the banjo would be possible was hearing Chick play um, the tune "Spain" with "Return to Forever" on a record at jazz appreciation class. I had just started playing the banjo, and. Um, just the way he played you know especially it was that 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 Rhodes um piano sound electric piano sound and it was sort of crunchy and he was on the front end of the beat like a banjo would be but the but the um the language was completely different than anything i had learned on the banjo at that point and so after hearing that that sort of blew my mind musically and then i got to go hear hear him play and it was a, it was a formative moment for me because when i watched him and his whole band playing all these this this crazy music um, it just occurred to me that every note they were, were playing was on my banjo, too, and I had to go find those notes. So for me, it's, it's as trippy as you can imagine that, that I get to go out and play with Chick Korea. And we just finished a, a, a tour last week, and we have this this next duet tour starting next week. So,
0: You know, Peter Rowan, you want to take a guess at who that is?
2: Yeah, that's a... Bela Fleck, and
1: I don't know when that was recorded, but has he been playing with Chick out on the road, or that was, had
0: he been? That was around the time that I first connected with you. I think that interview was from around 2014. So they, mm-hmm. you know, and they, it just popped into my head. I said, oh, I have that great sound from that interview with Bela about him being blown away by Return to Forever, which would never be mistaken as a an acoustic folk band, but yet he looked at that music and those notes and he said i can all this stuff can be played on the banjo and he was a bit younger but i I wanted you to reflect on your own thoughts about um chick korea wouldn't surprise me if if c train wound up on a bill with return to forever at some point but even so um you know we lost a master of of music and i i wanted you to talk about um how he impacted you
1: well, you know, quite honestly, uh, I, mm, along with Tony Rice, w- w- I think our uh, orientation towards jazz piano was Oscar Peterson. Mm-hmm. And Chick, Chick came along at the same time like John McLaughlin and a lot of those folks uh, of that new wave. And the, what, I guess, gosh, it goes back a long ways now, but that was the younger generation. They were coming along, and Chick was. You know, he was uh, so agile and so, uh, you know, I mean, all over the map. It, it was not something I could ever uh, imagine myself doing. However, having learned a few things <laughs> a little bit, you know, I, I I see where more where he was coming from. But that's very advanced uh, kind of uh, music. I my mind is more towards a um of feeling, you know, uh, rather than technique. And sometimes I'll be listening to some jazz on the radio and I'll just be moved and it, it'll turn out to be Chick korea you know, <laughs> laying it in there. And uh, uh, C-Train itself, and I mean, I think Chick started coming uh, out um, like we did in the, what, late 60s, 70s? Uh, well, I mean, he,
0: um, was, he, he was from the, you know, it's interesting, Peter, that, uh, because there was a, this interesting eclectic mix of musicians, including Herbie, Hancock, McCoy, Chick. Um they were
1: post Well and uh, Larry Larry Coyle too. Larry Absolutely, Coyle but I was I'm thinking active, back yeah.
0: to um they were pre they were post depression pre-baby boomer. It really, inter- oh, really yeah really interesting pocket of musicians. So they and and you look at Chick, he was, one of his idols was Horace Silver. So, yeah, he was coming up in that late 60s period. I just look at it as like something where it was so, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, it, it was, everything was just brimming and brewing and stewing in this pot. And I, you know, I mean, not that you, in so much as like, there was the energy that they brought to the table and also the intent and also the ability to have a dialogue. I mean, that's what music is all about. And I just, I mean, do you, do you have, did you go see him play live ever?
1: I think uh, maybe one of the last shows was either at uh, the jazz workshop in Boston or when uh, the owner of the jazz workshop, opened a club up on Route 128, sort of into the suburbs, um, called Lenny's on the Turnpike. Oh, my
0: God. You went to Lenny's, dude?
1: I did. Oh, that's I so great. I, I know who I actually saw there was Miles Davis with kind of a pickup group from New York, a bunch of kids, I mean, you know, late teens, early 20s were into at the time what was funk you know
0: absolutely funk I, I know who you were i know who you saw it's like sam morrison and those cats they were really young well
1: they they stood it was a very un, unattended night <laughs> uh it was well it was it was truthfully it was at, uh either on the build-up to bitches brew or it was right around that time but it was like miles uh they 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 played on the dance floor in a circle, with their backs to the audience, and it wasn't it wasn't packed. It was like a Wednesday night. It was like Miles calling Lenny and saying, "Hey man, you know I need to work these guys out a little bit, you know." <laughs> and um and and they stood in a circle with their backs to the audience, and Miles stood in the middle of the circle.
0: No way!
1: No yeah. way! And, and, dude. Oh, yeah, and oh yeah, and he walked man. around to each person and played to each person. There, it was like a rehearsal, you know, and, and we were lucky enough to be there. Uh, me and uh, some of the members of C-Train and uh, also uh, John Hammond, the, the great blues singer was there, John Hammond. Uh, and uh, things over were overlapping. Christopherson came through and played there. It like, Lenny's was like one of those, like a, a fill-in gig for people. And it, it lasted for a little while. But when you speak of jazz, uh, you know, Richard Green was very jazz-oriented, and uh, we used to sit around and play like the, all this stuff, the Limehouse Blues and Little Rock Getaway and all this stuff from the, uh, I guess, uh, the bebop era, or pre-bebop, really. It was, you know, when they were starting to... Ragtime was not ragtime per se, as we think of it, but, but the, those ragtime changes, sure, you know, sure. we're starting to be absorbed and, and articulated and opened up in, in the bebop era. And I mean, quite honestly, you know, who we listened to were people who, because I, I roomed with the Richard and he was a fiddle player, you know, uh we, we uh, we listened mostly to instrumental music like Red uh, Red Garland and uh, the, these folks who from the fifties had uh, come out and I want to interject something here. Go man. ahead, man. Somebody yeah. no somebody sent me this link uh, to an interview with Charlie Watts, uh, Jim Keltner, and some folks over at Sam Levy's house are you aware of Sam Levy i mean you must be um he, you know he he was an he, he was an untrained musician who played dizzy in the in that one of the first incarnations of that band that included charlie parker oh my he was God. A, he was a he was a kid who just had to play play rhythm on to sam levy l e v e y and you can look him up and you'll see He's just one of those guys who was there at the very beginning was in those bands, uh, with bird, uh, white guy. And, uh, he never took a lesson. He never studied at all. he just picked up watching, um, he saw, he saw one of the great drummers play. His dad took him to see him play and he was so young that it, 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 it you know, it fed his soul and he was able to pick up that style of drumming. Um, and uh, it, it's just interesting to see how uh, the, you know, we're talking about Bela Flack and uh, Chick Corea. And, well, you know, there's Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones, you know, over at one of the original bebop drummers' house. And, um, and along with the. Uh, oh, no, I know who you're talking about.
0: His name is Stan Levy. Stan Levy. <laughs> Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah no. The, Levy. Levy yeah, no.
0: Levy. I mean, listen. Everybody from Ron Tut to Jim Keltner to Dizzy Gillespie, obsessing. Stan Levy was one of the nastiest bebop drummers. A really, a really kind of, I mean, not a great dude. Like a hard guy to approach. Very hard scrabble guy, but a brilliant freaking drummer. I, yeah, I know him well.
1: Well, this is a. Uh well, I don't know if you've talked with him, but anyway. Oh, he, he, left, he left us, yeah. He's passed away for a while. Right. Well, this must have been, you know, sometime in the past 15 years mm-hmm. that they're sitting around, because there's not a whole lot of gray hair in the picture except Stan. <laughs> but but, uh, but he, uh, he tells his story, you know, that he, he never studied. He, he picked it up watching uh, people that his dad took him to see.
0: And probably, and probably, um, and probably also like, I mean, you guys, the thing that's so cool about you and your brothers uh, and everybody, Stan Levy included, I mean, yeah, you can go watch people at that time, but everybody was um, autodidacts. I mean, you, you really heard, that's the, that's the thing that's so amazing. I mean, you know, like you had the ability to hear a tune on the radio, chances are there wasn't a rewind button, you couldn't go back and listen to the tune again. A lot of times you had to hear something, and then you could kind of interpret it in your own way. That's how individual sound came about. Now, especially with the advent of television, when it became a real medium in the mid-70s, people started to, and continue to this day because we are saturated in mediocrity, musically and in our art, they started to, you know, um, copy people's... um, Physical movements or they turned out to copy machine parts. So as a result, you have this Incredibly hard. Um, I have a hard time really identifying who is playing what Um instrumentally that being said, I mean, you know, there's a couple I tracked down Um, paul lennart your old friend and we did a cosmic. Oh, yeah. we did a cosmic interview and he we talked about you Relentlessly, and you know he was in the band The Far Cry, which you know that's a Dolphy tune. And
1: exactly,
0: you know, I mean, no one would. I just, I would love, and Tony Rice has also left us. uh, You know, and I wanted you to. I mean, Peter, in your mind, when you and Tony, Tony would say, "Go wild, man, go wild." You know, like (laughs) you know, and and regardless of you know, no one, you know, okay, so you weren't McLaughlin or. People like that, who cares? It was like, it was this unbridled enthusiasm to burn. And I just wanted you to talk about your concept of, of you know, ultimately jazz. And when you and Tony would get together, even Richard, you know, I mean, is is, it a, is jazz a combination of all musics? Uh, is it just improvisation? For Peter Rowan, when you think back to all these beautiful people that you've played with, will continue to play with, what is your concept of jazz
1: well I mean I'm a vocalist and I play guitar and I'm always trying to you know you know expand my chops even at my age and uh, and understand musical ideas there are some things that I haven't put together but whose sounds I like right certain chord weirdnesses and things like that and uh, you, you know my my hang over the years became more and more with uh, songwriters with Townsend and Guy Clark and folks like that. But my orientation musically was always to have these like super pickers and it just happened to be that we were in the same sort of bag Mark <laughs> O'Connor you know Mark O'Connor sure. Jerry Douglas, oh, yeah. Richard Richard Green, Tony Rice I mean I never I mean I was I was lucky in that these adventuresome instrumentalists. You know, uh, but, you know, what's required of me is to is to as a rhythm guitarist, to with, starting out with Bill Monroe, you know, coming from a little bit of a rock and roll background. I want to say the guy who opened the door for me was Chuck Berry, because he made music accessible. And when you get into Chuck Berry, you get back into Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf, and then you get back into uh, the session Player's and you start to study the music that was made by the people that made rock and roll, even in Nashville. You know, did you know this, that a lot of the Nashville sound in the 50s were were refugees from the big bands, of the big bands that, that really? were going out of business? No, I didn't. That's uh, insane. It makes sense, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. All that guitar playing on, on these, unless they were, uh, you know, like... Ernest Tubb had his guys, right? right? But a lot of those big sessions, Patsy Cline and people like that, those were jazz musicians who had gone to Nashville to, to stay alive in music because the big band era died. They became studio players. And I will find out the names of these guys. Mike Bubb knows the whole thing, as does uh, Chris Scruggs, because they've studied the history, you know, and they're still in town. Marty Stewart, too, knows who all these folks were. Oh, I love Marty but, Stewart, uh, man, yeah. we got into... Uh, About a year and a half ago, we got into a deep uh, exchange on the Internet about sending around little uh, snippets and and whole songs and stuff. It's all on the Internet, which is so weird. But um, the, the thing is that jazz musicians were the players behind all this pop music. You know, if you needed a horn section in the 1950s, you'd have to go to one of the big bands and, you know, get a few guys and they'd come over. And they learned to play rock and roll. In fact, Fats Domino, his first band was all jazz musicians. I mean, not even his band, his recording band. Dave Bartholomew had all these session players in New Orleans, and they were jazz players. And, and, no, that and has I've, been
0: you. You you just hit that. You hit this crease of of insanity because because <laughs> I've been interviewing some guys that um, that just they were. Uh, guys like Dean Parks, and then before him, Louis Shelton. These guys, Louis Shelton specifically, came out from Arkansas. Uh, he was he was really – he was the first – he was kind of the first wave of rock guitar players bef- after the Wrecking Crew, and he talked about Tedesco and these guys that they hated rock. They could play it. Like they could play the music, but they weren't mm-hmm. interested. They were more beboppers, but the point is that when you put that – that language or bebop into R&B, rock music, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's intoxicating. And you're right. I mean, Alan Toussaint, Earl Palmer, all those guys.
1: Okay, now, Earl Palmer was the original drummer in the day of Bartholomew. Exactly, and I I know know. when you
0: said that, it reminded me of Palmer, yeah, Bartholomew.
1: Well, that's a big story because, uh, you know, with Fats Domino, somebody invented, I, I don't know, maybe Alan Freed, named it but if uh, they called it the big beat but that wasn't there in the beginning uh when you listen to the early fats domino it's all a shuffle Whoa. it's all a, a kind of like what you're a jazz player what do you do with this boogie woogie stuff well you shuffle <laughs> along you know and you, and you make it groove but when they did blueberry hill uh it was kind of like somebody might have said hey earl play a little harder on the back piece and the big beat was born it was that, born uh, the big beat was born off of that that's right. Yeah, he invented it, Earl Palmer, and of course he ended up out in the West Coast, right? Became the big session guy. For he was. He along.
0: was. Well, I mean, then and then he gave Hal Blaine his start. I mean, he's an. He is. Oh, no. oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess that's the when you. So you talk about. I just want to read this back to you because I know it was. It was. a it was quick. I just want you to relate this to your own career. This is Bela. What he said. <clears throat> he said. The language, he's talking about Return to Forever, he said the language was completely different from anything I had learned on the banjo up till that point. That sort of blew my mind musically, and then I got to hear him play live, which was a formative moment. When I watched him and his band play all that crazy music, it occurred to me that every note they were playing was on my banjo too. And I had to go find those notes not not return to forever because they're more your peers but was there something similar vocally vocalese wise or some kind oh yes yeah
1: yeah for Um, you for you you... oh yeah Um, uh, uh, pharaoh sanders had a vocalist and you know his name uh
0: yeah leon thomas leon thomas leon
1: thomas the the creator is a master plan and when i was on earth opera uh the bass player played this record for me and i mean you know we just come i just come out of nashville with the bill mineral and the bluegrass <laughs> boys and, and bill bill has a tune you know called cheyenne where he goes he, on the intro of the song he goes kind of kind of a I mean, familiar to listeners because it would be a little bit what a Western movie might interpret American Indian. Absolutely, yeah, I know exactly. Chung, 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 Chung. Well, when he played me Leon Thomas, I think. uh, I mean, really, I owe it to John Nagy having. I mean, we were Earth Opera was not able to really coalesce around a sound because it basically started with David Grisman and I arpeggiating. I would instead of playing bluegrass rhythm guitar, I was playing arpeggiated or single note uh, chords, e- evolving into other chords. Uh, and really, if you listen to the first Earth Opera record, yeah, there's a lot of jazz in there because the chords that I was adding to my songwriting—the uh, the tune called "As It Is Before"—yeah, uh, awesome. is very uh, yeah. There's these uh, what what they are are. Uh, uh, augmented chords with leading tones that, that resolve into a major because in bluegrass everything was like it was solid, solidly major but then you'd get these incredible uh, I, would, I wouldn't say discords or, or dissonances but these incredible harmonies musically speaking would be a, a 4 against a 7 while you're still in, in the key of G you'd be playing a C and an F and uh, and of course that all comes from mountain music, and uh, you know the banjo especially with Baylor's orientation. There's a lot of space between the notes, even though people do play a lot of notes on the banjo. I mean it's it's, it's the thirty-second note you know right. world. Yeah, right. And uh, but if you listen to the old where the banjo came from, there's a lot of resonance and harmonics in between those notes, and bluegrass absorbed that you know unconsciously. Although we're finding out more and more Bill Monroe was not just somebody who absorbed stuff. Bill Monroe had it figured out in his head that's the scary part.
0: That's insane. Dude. That
1: is insane. Yeah, well, you know, he, he, yeah. he he's quoted in uh, Tom Ewing's book um as saying uh he said, you know, if I had if I hadn't invented bluegrass, I would probably be a blues man. <laughs> that <was his> <laughs> dude, he you was- know, the, the oh, thing my. is that so great. That that crazy Mountain modal the stuff was, was was the enticement because it's so closely related to the blues and I went from you know lightning Hopkins while I was still playing you know rock and roll around Boston I went from lightning hopkins I, I went from uh, Chuck Berry to Lightning Hopkins. Somebody turned me on to that about the same time I started going over to Harvard Square and going to these coffee houses and seeing these black guys playing conga drums. And then you know, I'm say, well, I wonder where these guys are from, what they're doing. Somebody say, oh yeah, they're going over to Paul's Mall to play with, uh, you know, <laughs> Coleman Hawkins or somebody.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, dude, this they're, is they're so, just uh,
1: drinking coffee and warming up here. Oh, uh,
0: you know? I do, dude. I'm, no, this is so I this is so great to hear your voice, Peter Rowan. He's, I interviewed, um, I had a chance to interview Chuck Israel's, um, a bass player in in, in 1950. His family was all communist. I think they lived in Brandeis uh or out near brandeis and he he was playing uh he was singing with Pete Seeger in nineteen fifty and then he recorded with John Coltrane in fifty eight but he really? yeah he said he said <clears throat> um, he said that uh, I became more interested in the expanded vocabulary of jazz, so folk gigs were kind of limited when I was at Brandeis, I used to work with Steve Kuhn and Arnie Wise in a trio at a coffee shop at Harvard Square called Mount shop Auburn 47, which yeah, later... That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mount Auburn 47. And I'm like, Rowan was... Rowan was cook... Rowan, were you there playing or just sort of absorbing music? Well, no,
1: I was 14... I was 14 years old, and <laughs> I, we, we, after a rock and roll gig, we went by one night. Somebody told me about it. I said, guys, let's go by this place. I was working on the some kind of construction thing with a an ex-Marine, and he said, you know... He, he heard me play the twelve string guitar, singing Led Zeppelin songs at the lunch break. Oh. He said, "Rowan, he said, you need to go where your people are." <laughs> and I was like, "And I was like, uh, yeah." And he goes, "Go to Harvard Square." Harvard, Harvard. He said, "Harvard Square." Harvard. He was a marine, you know. He was a Boston boy. Oh,
0: dude, I love that accent. Ha- but you don't have the accent, which is interesting. You guys are from New England, but you don't have it.
1: Well, no, it's because I lived in the South for a long time, but, I mean... Uh, no, what did he say?
0: So he said, you got to go to your people.
1: Yeah, so I went to Harvard Square, and after the, after the rock and roll gig, me and the band, the Cupid's, we stopped by and went for the first time to this place, the Club 47, and uh, a 17-year-old Joan Baez was playing, and she came out on the sidewalk, and... Um, and uh sang uh some doo up
0: with us <laughs> well, no, that's okay, so this this is put hair up on the back of my neck. He, this is continuing from Chuck Israels, who you know was uh was
1: well, no, he playing jazz what, what
0: chuck, chuck chuck Israels was uh, uh Bill Evans's bass player for quite some I mean, I mean an iconic oh, upright so, and,
1: but he was playing in Harvard square huh? well, no this is
0: the this is the continuation of the story after he goes, there was this beautiful young woman playing guitar and singing. She sang so yeah. well, and she played the guitar so well, and she was such a beautiful storyteller in her singing and drop-dead gorgeous and super smart that I got up there and played the bass with her because it was the most musical thing available to me. I never got paid for that. I just played uh, with her. That woman yeah, was yeah. Joan Baez. That's un sure. I mean, what you know, let's just get down to brass tacks here. I mean, I, I want to ask you, because you've... Come through town quite a bit I've actually been Able to see you perform live in different settings It's always a treat You always have a, the ability to, to grab The audience's attention and, uh, and your intention for Playing music is always really um, To inspire There's I don't know if you let go of Expectation a long time ago or not but It's really all about intention I just wonder if you um, Do you believe That Peter that Did you take anything for granted prior to this? I mean, the only industry that hasn't come back is live touring music, which I don't need to tell you is really the only way musicians can make music today. And I wonder, some people would say, you know, I play every gig as a matter of life and death. And I didn't really know what that meant until... I realized that they recognize that there are no guarantees for tomorrow, so they left it all out there, assuming that it might be their last gig. But because you toured a lot and you you would already have played dozens and dozens if hundreds of shows since coronavirus took over, do you feel like you took anything for granted? and if so, um, what are you going to bring back to the bandstand when it is viable to do so?
1: Ah uh, man, I don't even know if I can
0: answer that question. <laughs> I mean, th- uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I, it's you know, I mean, really, it's just like uh, uh, gotta keep uh, you know, the uh, I, I've gone back to some real basic stuff like uh, flamenco guitar and. The origins, what I consider origins of where uh, a lot of the um, a lot of things came from. You know, they came from uh, the the original guitar was a you know Spanish guitar playing something between you know Persian music and Renaissance.
0: Absolutely, Renaissance.
1: absolutely. And uh, so flamenco is and the blues have been pretty much what I've been working on but I've also been writing a record uh, uh for um bluegrass records that I want to do when when we get a chance to be active again so I do, you know it's more like a keeping it alive through that uh, occasional zoom performances um I've got a actual session to go to right now with the um
0: well, you said you said you're getting your first you're getting your first vaccine shot. Is that right?
1: I'm going to do that right now.
0: I guess yeah. No, I, what I wanted to really just get you to articulate, if possible, is just like how you have kept yourself, you know, for so many of my peers as well. You know, like I said, if you took the microphone away from me, I would be in a really bad state, and I just wonder how you have been able to. I mean, no, know you have a great family, kids, wife.
1: But you mean, I mean how, do, how have I cut through the mental fog? Of the, the yeah, associated? man, because, dude, I'm really, I'm
0: starting to atrophy a little. I mean, even in my own way.
1: No, no, yeah. yeah. You, know, I, you know, we talked about this before, but no, I do, you know, I'm a Buddhist practitioner, mm-hmm. so I, I spend time on the cushion, uh, you know, uh, sure. relaxing into, you know, whatever uh, experience of, you know, an unconditional state of uh, awareness that, uh, you know, I can achieve by, you know, trying to stay with it daily. And, and, and I've had time enough, you know, off the road to actually, you know, do some retreats two or three weeks up, at you know, the, in the mountains. And all that's been very helpful to me, but I, I, I realized, you know, that what a gift that I've been able to do that. and, uh, and to come, uh, to come down off the mountain and to my, my, I think as I talk to people about this, they they say, Oh, integration is what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's my thing is to integrate what I'm doing. I, I still feel the calling to uh, appear in front of people, but I've examined that too. I mean, because there's a part of me that's an entertainer, you know. Sure. because I realize, telling stories, so I'm working on my book.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I just you used this phrase just now, unconditional state of awareness. I've never heard anyone that's 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 the name of the album right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's unreal, man. But I know. Look,
1: I have t- I have two guitars in my car right here. I get together <sighs> <laughs> maybe once a week with another guitarist and we just get into it and I'm going to do a show at the Freight and Salvage. I mean there's by overcoming my reticence to engage in the di- digital uh, sure, age. Sure, sure. It's like that's all we got and so I'm going to do it. I, uh, we're going to record a show next Friday. No, I next Friday is um uh Swallow Hill. Well, Friday or Saturday, Swallow Hill in, in Denver. And I'll do a workshop after that for the same uh, hookup, the same link through Swallow Hill. And then um, on March 4th, we're Sharon Gilchrist and myself and a wonderful guitarist named uh, Sean Allen, a uh, really brilliant player. We're going to go over and do a an acoustic slash electric evening uh Recording from noon till six at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley on March fourth, and that will be aired sometime. So there's, I mean, that's what I've been doing, you know. And and my daughter's done. We've got let me advertise one Peter Rowan project, Please. and that is, uh, we've got something called My Songs and Guitars, and it's it's either on Noogs or Bandcamp or something. They're they're finding distribution for it, which is a whole other era, of course. But, you know, oh my God. Distribution, distribution used to be what we did with hard rec- records and CDs. Now it's distribution via digital uh, platforms. And But this is a thing that I worked on. My daughter filmed me, and we took about six weeks to do it. I have 10 or, 10 or 15 episodes uh, that are about 15 minutes long, each one, where I talk about the instrument I'm playing and then play uh, a song and talk about the song too as it relates to the sound of that instrument. So that really says a lot of what I've been doing. It's listening to I've got all my guitars you know, uh, had them all worked on, brought into tip-top shape. The most most playable my instruments have been in years because some of them don't get touched, you know. And especially the vintage ones. And um, the vintage ones you know, when you're playing the guitar from the 1930s, you know, that's a long time. <laughs> the, the old, the, 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 the it's like the ancestor, you know, and it, it needs a little sprucing. You know? uh, it needs so, a lot
0: of sprucing, man.
1: Well, you know, short of resetting the necks on these old instruments. So I've done everything except reset the necks. fret, fret jobs and this and that, you know, I don't do the work myself, but I've got some local people here that are fabulous, uh, uh, doing setup on the guitar. And, um uh, and, and you know I, that's been my investment is to get my instruments all into tip-top shape, and to. Um, um, sorry, I'm driving in traffic. No,
0: I, I, I'm, I just I, I want to tell you, Peter. I, let's let's try to do uh, another another installment when you're uh, when you have a little more time and you're a little bit more settled
1: yeah i mean i you know i also another thing i did which is weird it's the last thing i'll say about what i've been doing is i've done a couple of overdubs using my phone as the earphone and singing (laughs) and singing into my (laughs) my my, uh my uh ipad
0: (laughs) i mean you're doing everything it's the far cry man it's the far cry it's unbelievable. It's
1: a far cry, and I could talk to you about those guys too. That
0: well, no, that I want I want to break that down. Yeah. So let's. But I just want to tell you, I know you got a bunch of, of uh, you know things coming up. Again, I believe that we've connected on a spiritual yeah. level, and I know you. These guys had a chance to uh, meet you and hang out with you in New Orleans, I think. And I'm jonesing. I just think that. When, when things somehow get back To some kind of semblance of normalcy You have to team up With the band Mapache They are the young Young cats And, and for you to be on a bill with them all of a sudden, it's going to be this younger audience reinvigorated with Peter Rowan again. So, but, but are
1: they? Uh, what are, are they? A
0: Latin band? But no, Mapache. That you've you've hung out with them, Clay and Sam. They're an acoustic duo, and they sing some songs in Spanish. But they just they have the Peter Rowan vibe. But they're in their twenties. I mean, the, oh, I think I saw them
1: down at the Folk Alliance. You my did. last... One of my last gigs last year. Yes, uh, but I would I also, you know, I'm working with the Tex Maniacs, Los Tex Maniacs, out of San Antonio, and Flaco. Um, although he's, you know, we he, he doesn't travel that much, but Flacco is involved in it. So I'm back in the Tex Mex world. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, listen. Let's listen. Good luck with everything with the with the vaccine. But let's try to. Let's try to do another installment, man. It was—it was, uh, was just—it was an honor to hear your voice, and I hope we can get oh, back. Man,
1: I appreciate it. I always appreciate it, man. I'll give you a call back. All right.
0: Much love, dude. Much
1: love,
0: yeah. love you. Bye. Peace. Ram. Mm-hmm. Just a wild, wild uh, situation with Peter Rowan there. He's got a full plate today, but he's surviving and doing everything he can to get stuff out of his system. We'll be back tomorrow on the Jake Feinberg Show. Until then, peace.